You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Has anyone ever seen the great movie, the great and yet it's pretty tragic movie too, called The Green Mile? There's, there's actually a scene in the movie that, well, there's many scenes in the movie that are pretty impacting, but one for me is always one of the early scenes in the movie where we see a prisoner who is the main character by the name of John Coffey, who is transferred to the prison overseen by a man called Paul Edgecombe, played by Tom Hanks. And for those of you who've seen the movie, perhaps you can visualize this scene. And if you can't, Later on in the day, I've actually included the YouTube link on our YouTube description so you could actually watch that scene for yourself. But let me paint the picture for you just in our mind's eye. John Coffey, as you saw from that image before, he is a very physically imposing man. That's one word for it. This man is shackled, his shackled hand and foot and gets out of the back of this prison transfer van. And this prison transfer van looks like, does anyone know the kind of classic P-plater car, the Commodore or the Falcon, with the rear springs cut, riding so low on the ground with the front elevated like that? It looks exactly like that, because this guy is such a big unit. As soon as he steps out, the springs, the van kind of springs back up like this and goes back to where it should be. And as this man steps out of this van, you see this shot of the prison guards watching from the prison, just waiting to see who this guy is. And their eyes are wide with just utter amazement. Look at this guy. Can't believe their eyes. He's quite literally the biggest man they've ever seen. It's almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger back when he was in his prime, not as Californian governor, but back in his prime when he was Mr. Universe. This guy is absolutely ripped. He makes AFL players look like prepubescent school children, you know, in comparison. And as he begins his slow shuffle into the prison and onto death row, the tiny prison guard accompanying him begins to shout out one line over and over and over again so that all the prisoners who are watching on in the yard can hear. And he says this, Dead man walking. Dead man walking. We've got a dead man walking here. Dead man walking. And it's true. He was a dead man walking. Here's a spoiler alert. Sorry if any of you haven't seen this. Despite being completely innocent, this man, for the, for the horrific crime that he was accused of committing, John Coffey was destined to die in the electric chair. He was a dead man walking toward death row. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, Paul explains how, unlike the main character that we see in the great movie, The Green Mile, every single one of us, every single one of us, if we haven't sought out relationship with God and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, as we shared around the communion table just before, if, if not for that, we all are guilty. We're completely guilty. 
we, even though we mightn't think we are, without Jesus, we're actually on death row. And we are destined to die. We are, without Jesus, dead people walking now in this life and will be dead people walking into and toward the one to come as well. Now, that's a pretty heavy way to start today. I I know. So here's the good news. Here's the good news in all of this. And this is the good news of the gospel that Paul continually brings home again and again and again throughout these early chapters of Ephesians. Here's the good news. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ is freed from death row. Freed. Shackles off completely. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is completely forgiven and, as Paul describes, can move from a place of death into a place of life with Jesus. How is that possible? And what does it mean practically for us today? Well, let's find out as we explore this passage together. Let's pray now and let's invite God to really speak to our hearts, speak beyond our ears. Let's really get this in our hearts today. Some of the things that Paul draws out and encourages the Ephesian church in are key things that if we truly understand them, not just at a head level, but deep in our hearts, they will transform our lives. Seriously, we will never be the same. If we grasp these truths, we will be free as God longs for us to be. So let's pray that God would do that work in all of us today. Lord God, we thank you so much for the wonder of the good news of the gospel. We thank you, God, for the wonder of a book like Ephesians, a letter to a church so many years ago, God, that not only was relevant then, but is also incredibly relevant to us today in our own context. So God, we pray today by your spirit that you would speak to each of us in power, God, that you would speak to each of us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that you would urge us, if we don't yet know you, to turn to you and move from a place of death to a place of life in abundance with Jesus Christ in this life now, but also in the one to come. So God, we pray that you would do that work and that you would get all the glory because you are the only one who is worthy of getting all the glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we jump right into this particular passage we're looking at today, let's just take a step back and look at, remind ourselves of some of the overarching themes that Paul's been reminding the Ephesians of so far. So in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, Paul reminds the church that they have been chosen, that they have been redeemed, that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And because they have been, they are his. They belong to him. They are members of his family. They are beloved sons and daughters. They are God's own adopted children. And then in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, Paul goes on and writes a prayer of encouragement to the church. He prays that they would continue on the way they are going, that they would not turn away from their devotion to Christ, they would not turn from their faith in Jesus and get caught up in what's going on in the world around them, chasing after and worshipping, ultimately, false idols. 
And he encourages them not by telling them not to do that, but by, t- by encouraging them in what to do. And he encourages them to continue to focus in on Jesus and continually marvel at the wonderful work that he's done. For those who've been with us so far, would you agree that that's what we've explored? And now, here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reinforces much of what he's already said by painting a picture of who these early church believers were without Jesus, who they are because of Jesus, and how they are to live in light of these realities. In other words, who they were freed to be. And here's the thing. Paul's words to the Ephesians in chapter 2 here were applicable for the church then, but they're also incredibly applicable for us to who believe in Jesus currently, and they can also be true and deeply moving for those of us who are yet to come to know Jesus Christ personally. So that if that's you, you can choose to place your faith in Jesus today, and these truths can be true for you as well. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, and we'll read today's passage in full. So Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's break down this passage today by looking at three things. Who we were, who we are, and who we're freed to be. So in the opening verses of this passage here, Paul reminds us of who we were, or if we don't yet know Jesus, he kind of paints a picture of who we actually are right now. Essentially, right here, Paul brings home the reality that if we don't know Jesus, we are in a dire spiritual position. We are in a dangerous, dangerous place. And it's confronting if we think about it, but this passage so powerfully illustrates the reality for so many people in our world today. You know, we could be living it up. We could be living life to the full so to speak, I guess, in a physical sense. We could be enjoying all kinds of physical, personal freedoms and forms of physical self-expression. But God says 
that if we don't know and love Jesus, we're actually dead. We're spiritually dead. We're dead women and we're dead men walking. In our Western society, we value individual expression and personal freedom so highly, don't we? They're the, they're the tenants of our Western, modern Western society. We hate having any constraints placed on us and we've largely thrown off the shackles in any way so we can, in our quest to kind of be truly free, to be truly masters of our own destinies. Our society constantly speaks this line as truth over us. If you want to do it, you deserve to do it. So go and do it and don't let anyone else tell you that you can't do it. I'm sure we can think of many ways that that line's put to us through advertising, through the things that well-meaning people tell their kids, um, all sorts of things. That, that is a line of truth in our society today. And the thing is, we can all buy into and kind of fall for this line. As Paul puts it right here in Ephesians, by buying this line, many of us actually choose to follow the course of the world, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and minds. And doing this, the Bible says, God says, has dire negative consequences for us. Maybe not immediately, perhaps even in a physical sense, if you like, giving ourselves freely to whatever we choose to, to do and enjoy might go well for us for a while. It might seem to go well even for our entire lives here on earth. But, but Paul reminds us that in the end, if we follow the ways of the world, we are putting ourselves in a dire spiritual position. Spiritually, now, yes. And it's important that we recognize it has an application right now. Where If we do that, we're in a dire position right now in this life. But ultimately, by pursuing our best life now, we're putting ourselves on a dangerous spiritual path for the life to come, for eternity as well. Just let this truth sink in for a moment. Did you pick up on who Paul says we follow if we live like this? Let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who's that? Satan, the enemy of God. You know, so often in our very intellectually driven, rational Western world, we easily forget about or perhaps we just even disregard the existence of Satan. Now, hear me, he's not to be feared by those who trust in Jesus Christ. He's not to be feared at all, but he's certainly not to be underestimated either. He's real. He exists. He often exerts or attempts to exert his power over people and situations. And he often exerts the most power over people 
when we go through life either ambivalent about his existence or even just blissfully unaware of his insatiable appetite to see destruction happen in the lives of everyone in this world. You know, Jesus himself, in a pretty popular passage, you may have read this before, John 10.10, he calls Satan exactly what he is, the thief. Here's Jesus in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in today's passage in, in Ephesians, Paul reminds his hearers of this reality, that prior to knowing God, they were following the thief. Paul's reminding those of us who are Christians today, before we humbled ourselves and came to Jesus and placed our faith and our trust in him, we were actually following Satan. If you're not yet following Jesus, you might even hear me say that and say, how dare you? How dare you? You, You're saying I'm following Satan? What a load of rubbish. That's offensive. I'm just not following Jesus. That's all I'm doing. I'm I'm a good person. I'm, I'm just not following Jesus. How dare you say that I am following Satan? Look, I can, I can appreciate that that would be a pretty tough thing to hear. And yet, Paul teaches here and the rest of the Bible would say that if that's your position today, that you're actually following Satan down a road that none of us would want to travel. God makes it clear that if you're not following Jesus, you are actually following Satan. Now, I'm confident that if you don't have a a biblical understanding of who Satan is, perhaps you have more of a pop culture vision of Satan from from some movie or or cartoons, perhaps, you you would generally understand this, that Satan is not necessarily known as being the nice guy. Yeah? I think we could all agree with that. He's not the guy that you really want to side with in life. He lives, he exists, he has a passion for things in, that are opposite to good, all things of God being good. He has a passion to see evil come into the world, come into our lives and all of that sort of thing. He lives to steal, kill and destroy every single one of us. That's his sole mission in this age, to destroy all people by leading them away ultimately from the worship of God, from worshipping God and knowing him personally. And this was true for who we were prior to trusting in Jesus. And it's true for every single person who has not yet encountered the love and grace of God through relationship with Jesus. We all were, or we all are, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, stick with me this morning. That's pretty heavy. That's, that's super heavy. I know. It's a very heavy truth. But this very heavy truth leads to an incredibly good truth, an incredibly freeing truth. And the good news, as Paul goes on to say in the next verse, starts with two beautiful words but God, but God. 
Man, I love these two words. Paul takes us from the incredibly bad news into the incredibly good news with two fine words. But God. This is how we were and now, or this is how we were or is who we are right now if we're still searching out. But God made a way. Let's read the good news that Paul shares. Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead, God being rich in mercy because of his great love for all mankind, he made a way for anyone to find life, to truly come alive. To, as Jesus says in the second part of John 10, 10, to find or to have life. And have it abundantly. You see, God knew from the beginning of time, before time was even a thing, God knew that mankind, his beloved creation, would one day choose willingly to go their own way and reject him. He knew that. And yet, because of his great love for us, he still chose to make a way for his people to be able to return to him, to come back into intimate, close relationship with him, like Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden all those years ago. How incredible is that, friends? How incredible, even when we were dead, even when we were following Satan, God made us alive together with Christ. Amazing. What love, what grace, what an awesome God our God is. Now, excuse me. I'm not going to dig too deep into what this abundant life looks like this morning, but I want to quickly share three remarkable realities of life with Christ that we can really glean from this passage. And I'm sure that if you set aside some time during the week, maybe you just want to jot these three truths down and then meditate on them as you spend time with Jesus. I'm sure that if you do that and invite Holy Spirit to bring them alive to your heart, that you'll be filled with awe and wonder at just how remarkable and wonderful our God is. So in just two verses, being Ephesians 2, 6 to 7, Paul points us to three remarkable realities of life with Christ. And here they are. One, we're given new life spiritually now, regeneration in Jesus. Two, we're given a share in Jesus' authority to exercise for God's glory. And three, we're also assured of renewed physical bodies when Jesus returns, the future resurrection. If you listening today and you're 
a follower of Jesus, can you remember that moment when you were born again? When you came spiritually alive? When these truths that I'm talking of today didn't just kind of go here and you go, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of nice, but they actually sank into your heart and Holy Spirit moved on your heart and, and did a new thing in you. Can you remember back to that time? I can, I can. It was, it was an incredible moment. It was an incredible season of change and growth. I'll never forget that kind of moment of initially just being overwhelmed with a sense of God's love, overwhelmed with the reality that Holy Spirit was bringing deep down into my heart that I was saved by grace and not through anything I could do, but simply because of God's great love for me. And man, I, when, when I did that and as I, as I humbled myself and I stopped kind of wanting to be in control and, and saying, oh, well, life's all about me and what can I get out of it, but actually surrendered to God and said, God, I see now that life is all about living for your glory and not living for my own. And when I did that, I found myself truly coming alive. It was incredible. There was nothing like that initial moment of coming from a place, from a place of death into a place of life through relationship. And here's the thing, like sometimes we kind of, we, we forget that the point of salvation is sure, there, there may be a moment that we can look back on with fondness, but there should be many moments along the journey that we enjoy and we experience intimacy and deeper revelation of the truth really applied to our heart as we connect with God. And for me, that's the joy of this reality, that it's, a, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It doesn't just stop. It's not a one-time thing back in 59. It's a continual journey of deepening in relationship with God. And, you know, I love that ongoing sense as Holy Spirit continually reminds me, hey, Joel, you're his. You're his. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be worried about that. You don't need to look at what they're doing or what's going on over there. You are his. You're secure. You're safe. You are loved by me, and it's not because of anything that you do. It's simply because of my grace for you and for the world. You know, that is such an incredible blessing. And the blessings are beautiful, aren't they? Peace and joy, all the, the fruit of the Spirit. There is nothing like experiencing that new life in Christ on an ongoing basis. And you see, what, what I've described just then, that can be true for any single person, every person on the face of this planet. And all it takes, all it takes is just a willingness, a humility to approach Jesus and to place your faith in him, inviting him to really lead you in life, no longer being the, the one on the steering wheel, but allowing God to take the wheel, so to speak, and guide you and journey with you through life. You know, part of the blessing of coming alive spiritually, being regenerated for God's glory is that you all of a sudden are given a purpose in life, an even greater purpose than any other great purposes that we have in this life. We get to work in the family business, so to speak. When we're regenerated, we get to play our part in seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. As Paul puts it in verse 6, through Jesus, we've actually been raised up into positions of spiritual authority with Jesus, even right now in this life. 
Read in Ephesians 2.6, Jesus has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a clear and remarkable reality of life with Christ. When we're born again, we're actually given a share in Jesus' authority to exercise for God's glory. Unreal. Now, we'll, we'll keep looking at this as we continue through Ephesians. But it's safe to say that this is a truly incredible privilege and truly incredible gift that we've been given from God. And through Jesus, we have been given the delegated authority, in a sense, of being his children, empowered by the Holy Spirit to see his will done and his kingdom come in the most darkest and most evil places all over this globe. We are called to join with him in seeing hope and life and peace and all the things of God flourish in this world around us. We are called to join with him in standing against the evil in the world and the evil one in standing against and resisting the schemes of Satan. And we are to join with him in seeing his Father's will done on earth for God's glory and for the good of people everywhere. And man, if that's not good enough, which, man, if we just stopped there, we'd be like, yep, I reckon that is a pretty incredibly good, generous father. But to top it all off, the abundant life blessings aren't even limited to this life we're living right now. Through Jesus, we are also assured of renewed physical bodies when Jesus returns, future resurrection. You know, as, as the well-known New Testament professor would say, N.T. Wright, he, he would say that there's a, there's a now and a not yet truth to this passage. The now has happened and we are enjoying the first fruits, in a sense, of this amazing blessing. And there's the not yet in that when Jesus returns, we will be truly raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places for eternity. And here's the good news. When we're sitting there one day, we'll be sitting there with our new heavenly bodies, bodies that are free of sickness and tiredness and all these things that are completely perfect. Now imagine that everyone, especially those of us listening today who maybe have some chronic health issues, some complications that make your life very difficult or painful on a daily basis, or those of you who've had a very successful and yet physically costly weekend warrior sporting career, or even those of us who are just physically worn out from the daily grind of being up and down, up and down, carrying little kids, doing all that sort of thing. For all of us, in one way or another, I'm sure that this is a blessing that we're all looking forward to taking hold of in its fullness one day. Bring on the heavenly bodies that are free from sickness and pain, I say. Now, here's the big theme in all that I've said so far. And, it's, and this is one that Paul has already brought home in chapter 1 of Ephesians. None of this is our doing. It's all by the grace 
of God. None of this is our doing. It's all by the grace of God. We've been taken from death to life, or we can be taken from a place of death to life, not by doing anything ourselves, other than through placing our faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. Paul brings this truth and this theme home again, as clear as day, when he writes this in Ephesians 2, 8-9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, we have nothing at all in and of ourselves to boast about. The only thing we can genuinely boast about is our generous, almighty, loving, incredibly grace-filled, remarkable, doesn't give us what we truly deserve, Father God. That is who we can boast in. The God who has done all of these amazing things out of his great love for us. That is who we can boast in. And Paul says that. That's all all you can boast in. That's all you should boast in. And I would encourage you, friends, let's be people who boast in the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ and him alone. Man, I love Ephesians. If you haven't gathered that already from so far exploring through Ephesians, I love this letter. Okay, so Paul reminds us of one, who we were, two, who we are, and Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.10 also of who we're freed to be. Let's read that now. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Who are we freed to be? We are freed to be people who do good works. We're freed to live lives of love and sacrificial service that honour God and show others how truly awesome our mighty God is. Look, I know I harp on about this again and again and again, and I will harp on about this as long as God calls me to serve in ministry. This is a spiritual reality that all of us desperately need to understand, to, to really know this truth, not just, not just hear it and go, well, that's good for someone else, but to know this truth personally. And when I say knowing, I'm talking about knowing it and experiencing it as truth deep within our hearts. Because when we do, and it's only when we do, will we be truly free to enjoy life as God intended and will actually be secure in our relationship with Jesus, assured of our place in his family. Here's the spiritual reality that we all need to understand and it's in relation to good works. We don't do good works to earn God's grace. Good works naturally flow out of our lives when we've been captured by God's grace. Let me say that again. We don't do good works to earn God's grace. 
Good works naturally flow out of our lives when we've been captured by God's grace. Verse 8 to 9 of Ephesians chapter 2, they're clear. They're, they're straight. You can't get much straighter than that. And they're also sometimes pretty hard to hear, pretty hard to take to heart at times. I've been in seasons before where I found these words particularly difficult to accept. And maybe that's where you're at right now, this morning, right now, today. You feel that for whatever reason, you, you have this, this need, this kind of mentality that says, oh, but, but I've done so many things or how could God possibly be pleased with me? I, I'm, I need to do something in order to earn God's favour, to, to, to work my way into a place where he'd be pleased with me, where, where he'd welcome me, where, where his love could actually be true for me. Your internal dialogue might be something like this. Well, if I only do X, Y, and Z, then God will be pleased with me. Then God will welcome me into his family. I want to say this gently to you in love today. That's, that's simply not true. That's simply not true. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. That's not how it works. Here's the truth straight from Paul's mouth. But... God, but God. You can't do a thing. I can't do a thing. No one can do a thing. None of us have the means to earn God's approval. None of us have the means to make things right and be good enough or offer enough or do anything enough to pay the price for our sins. We just can't. The only thing that we can possibly do is to receive God's favour. And we do that by placing our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, reach out to him right now. Reach out to him today and let him take you from a place of death, a place where, where you know, you're trying to you're trying to live life, you're trying to do it all in your own strength, you're trying to be a good person, you're trying to be good to your neighbours, you're trying just really, really hard, but let Jesus take you from a place where you're trying to work all that out to a place where he has already worked it all out, where you are truly alive through relationship with him. And if you've been following Jesus for some time now, and for whatever reason you've been struggling with this kind of burden it's just even just in the background sometimes of feeling like you need to earn your approval, earn God's favour. I'm going to pray that God would free you from that burden, that God would break that chain off your life and give you a gift of assurance, blessed assurance, that deep, deep assurance in your heart that you are and that you will continue to be right with God and alive spiritually, not through anything you could do, but simply because you have chosen to trust in the grace and the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You choose to trust in everything that Jesus has already done. Let's pray together 
as we close and invite God to move on our hearts, whether we're seeking today or whether we've been Christians for a while and just need a breakthrough in this area. Let's pray. Yeah, God, we, we thank you so much for your gift of this letter to the Ephesians. God, we thank you that the theological truths here are deep and they're profound, and yet they are so applicable, they're so practical to our lives, God, because ultimately none of us want to be on a dead path. We don't want to go down a one-way road to separation from you, ultimately, God, in this life, but also in the next, God. We want to be on the road that leads to life. We want to be free. We don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. So, God, I pray for anyone listening to this today, who's maybe seeking spiritual truth, maybe even from a different religion, checking out what Christians believe or whatever, or don't even know why you're here today and you're agnostic or atheist or whatever. It doesn't really matter. God, I pray that you would just reveal these truths to their hearts in such a powerful way that they would truly be gripped by the good news of the gospel and the good news that Jesus came to take people from a place of death to take people in a place of life in relationship with him. So if that's you today, Lord, we just, we just pray for those people that they would reach out to you in faith and they would simply say, Jesus, I welcome you to come and move in my life. I choose to place my faith in you today and I choose to trust in what you have already done on that cross. Thank you for your love for me. I want to walk with you in my life. May that be true for anyone seeking today, God. And Lord, for those who maybe are Christians and have walked with you for a while, but for whatever reason are feeling a burden of like needing to do things to please you, God, I just pray that that would be broken in Jesus' name. Lord, that, that hold of feeling like we need to do anything in order to get your approval might just be broken in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that that would be replaced with the wonder of the gospel that it is not by anything that we could do, but simply by what you have already achieved, that we are justified, that we are declared to be perfect in your sight, that we are completely free and don't have to worry at all about any of those negative things of, of, of death and separation from you because it is through faith in Jesus and through faith in Jesus alone that our salvation is based and our salvation is assured if we press on with you. So God, would you do this work in all of our hearts today? Help us to all Enjoy the wonder of, of your word where we can see where we have been or where we are right now, but also the wonder of the beauty of where we can be or who we are right now through faith in Jesus. We thank you, God, for your incredible gift of your word. And we pray that you would just continue to bring home these truths deep within our hearts, Lord, deep within our hearts, so that we would genuinely be able to declare along with Paul that it's through, um, through faith that we've been saved. It's not by works, but it's through your grace, Jesus, that we would be able to declare that and hold on to that and rejoice in that and praise you in light of that. So God, help us to, to be people who do good works, not out of our own strength, 
but out of the reality of that truth and all you have achieved on the cross. We praise you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise today. In Jesus' name.